मशीन लगाऊंगा इस साइड से आलू घुसेगा उस साइड से सोना निकलेगा Hi, welcome back to Attention Plus with Arnab Ray. This is episode one one three, recorded on the sixth of February, twenty twenty one. We've been off for the entire month of January, but boy, it with so many things happening, it seemed a lot, lot longer than that. But we're back. Well, uh, kind of. Let's just say that the reason you're listening to this podcast is back. So uh, let me quickly get out of the way and let your host begin the podcast. Over to you, Arnab. Hello, everyone, and welcome to. the first podcast of attention please for the year 2021 um usually uh we have vikram mohan introducing me but because of certain uh personal family emergencies he will not be doing um i'm guessing uh shows in the in the near future i'm i'm pretty sure he will be back so for now uh i will be doing both the intro as well as of course covering the topic so uh welcome back everybody we were away on a break for about a month and um a lot of you have uh, written to me have messaged me on twitter um usually celebrities always say this people have been sending me messages and and this one is and i'm not a celebrity and i wish there were more messages saying how many how much they have missed attention please for the last month um i i like these messages and i'm always underwhelmed at how few of these i get but um we're back or rather say i'm back in this case um and uh last month let's cover what happened in last month and uh, i guess not much happened while we were away of course i'm kidding so many things happened while we were away which is perhaps a good thing perhaps we should be away uh, f- uh more because i think a lot of things happened in the last month uh, not all of which good but of course india won a uh, won a test series in australia and things have moved so fast and at this point of time when we are recording um we are mean subject to the sight of uh, shahbaz nadeem bowling to uh, joe root and he seems to be on his way to yet another double century so the euphoria of winning in australia seems to be gone and we can now happily go back to bashing ravi shastri and virat kohli now that he's back and as i had tweeted i'd wondered what uh kuldeep yadav had done uh to be even bef- even behind shahbaz nadeem in the queue of spinners this is like being replaced by sanjay kapoor or by mimo chakravarti for a role in a hindi movie been being told that you know we got somebody who's a better actor or more bankable star than you are so this is this is i i don't know how um kuldeep yadav is expected to come back from this i wondering which uh, which ipl franchise he pay, plays for and which franchise chose to retain him what's the name of that franchise oh yes kolkata knight riders of course they're made for each other but let's go back to uh, the story of the last month and of course the focus in this episode will purely be political so for those of you who followed my podcast for the last i don't know how many years it's been almost been 2 years now that i've been doing this podcast you would know that one of the central thesis of this podcast has been that the struggles that we see in the world the upheavals that we see in the world the real battle is between extremists and moderates 
It's not between the right and the left. It's between fundamentalists and moderates. If fundamentalists are those who are ideologically tethered to an extreme, and which means that their minds are closed and that they seek to vilify those who do not believe in their worldview, while the others, which we perhaps sometimes call centrists, maybe there needs to be a better word for it, are those who are consistent with principles. Now, those principles might be arbitrarily chosen. Those principles might, of course, reflect bias because ultimately everybody is biased. But once they choose a principle, they stick to it. Now, they might feel based on um, evidence that this principle is not worth sticking to, at which point of time they might change their principle. But it's not that they stick to a side rather than a principle. At any point of time, they adhere to a unique set of mutually consistent principles. And they try to explain the world and they try to pass the world in terms of that internally consistent model. While a fundamentalist, unfortunately, has to do this kind of bizarre balance where they have a set of standards for themselves and a totally different standard for everybody else. So let's, let's take a look at in a little bit of detail and taking as an example some of the things that happened in the past about one and a half months to kind of look at this in perhaps as dramatic a way as could be, would be possible. So to understand this, this divergent worldview, we have to understand that there, let, let's talk about two things. There is their actions and there are the intentions behind the actions. So what characterizes a fundamentalist or an extremist on either side of the spectrum is that the justification of their actions happens purely through their intentions. And I will explain if this kind of sounds like T. Rajender speaking, let me apologize. I will explain all of this and please pardon the profusion of words which end with shuns. So they justify their actions through their intentions. And at the same time, they delegitimize the exact same action done by others through their intentions. Let me explain this with a few examples. So let's start with an example which will appeal to all the liberals who are listening to this podcast, and that will possibly be, perhaps be three of you at this point of time. So let's take an action. The destruction of the Babri Masjid. Okay, let's take that action. Now that action is grossly illegal. Destroying a building against a court order, I think anybody, the, the facts of it are, and this is a purely factual opinion, is that it is an illegal act. Now those who support the demolition of Babri Masjid would say that even though this is an illegal act, their intentions are such that the intentions make this act morally justified. The intention legitimizes this action. So the intention would be that the Babri Masjid is a symbol of you know, subjugation of Hindus. Uh, the, this, is the, this is the first step towards the establishment of a Ram Mandir, which will be a symbol of Hindu pride. And it will be, and, and I'm not getting into what their intentions are, but they, have, they, they do have a model 
of what they believe the good intentions are and that this the action is justified even though it is grossly illegal is justified by the righteousness of their intention now for the opponents of this they agree that the right is that the acts are illegal of course but the intentions are absolutely fascist hindu supremacist there is no there is no understanding or not even a not even a whiff of wait we say the same thing when people do it in our name nobody does that so that is the characteristic of a fundamentalist on the opposite side so for the same person who would who would virtue signal by saying that confederate confederate monuments should be destroyed even though they, again the action might be illegal they will use the exact same good intentions to justify the actions without without being able to conceive of the fact that they're actually saying the exact same thing as the people that they so despise and the people that they call fascists so now let's going back to the events of the last month let's look at what happened in the storming of capitol hill now if you look at the actions the actions are again grossly illegal there's violence going on um but if you look at the action that that action is illegal but so is occupy wall street illegal so was the occupy movement which occupied vast swaths of american downtowns so was the looting after george floyd so was um the, basically the total takeover of sections of seattle um and the sacking of a police precinct now when these things happened in the quote unquote liberal media there were there were articles and you can google and find out in defense of looting the this is not been this is not some you know some guy on twitter expressing this this is in mainstream web you know of course progressive but they're basically saying and i've heard this in the late night comedy talk shows which again are really where most people get their news from in in the us so daily show and such like is that looting isn't a good thing we all agree it's illegal but hey when you have centuries of racial inequity and what have you again the intentions looting is not a big deal and that protests aren't supposed to be pretty they're supposed to be disruptive they're supposed to be ugly and that's how you get people's attention now if you if you accept this to be true then what's wrong in what the people who supported trump did but no then they will say but of course that's not true because the people who did that who occupied um occupying wall street is fine but occupying uh capital hill is fine because they are white supremacists immediately the same action illegal in both cases is condemned by the intentions of the people doing it now the only person among and this person is that's why bill maher i always tend to, that's why i've always been a fan of bill maher despite the fact that i don't agree with him on many things he's the guy who kind of pointed that out in one of the first episodes he did after the storming of capital hill 
was that he looked at one of the people who was who, who lost her life and in the liberal media there was basically like you know she's a terrorist she deserves to lose her life why why would anybody cry over her you know why would anybody she's she's like mohammad ata but bill maher tried to take a very human view of that and said look this person was a was a us had served in the us military she started a small business lost it because of covid and she, the 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 irony is that trump is responsible for all of this but the fact that she is not hurting the fact that her grievance is any the less legitimate than anybody who's trashing uh, or looting a target that's just not true and rather than and that's exactly what's happened is rather than focus on the legality and illegal illegality of actions and i'm going to be coming to the farmers protest of course you would see that this is all building up to it the focus should be on the actions intentions every side can claim that they have legitimate intentions now is when liberals hear this they cannot argue with this on logic because there is really no logic so at that point of time their defense is it, it usually splits up some people just use the term what about it so what about it is is a slur that has been again it it comes from you know the the buzzfeed huffington post um you know leftist humanities spilling out into the web world so that this is this term comes from that so this this term is hilarious so imagine if you will that you are you know centuries ago your your uh, mohandas karamchand gandhi in a train compartment and this uh, this this white guy this the the, the conductor uh, or the ticket checker comes and says you have to get out of the train and he's the you know he says shows the ticket we all know the story I'm a brown man and all these guys are white so said no you you cannot travel in this class you have to get out now gandhi this i guess whole all of us will agree that this is a case of racial racism and racial discrimination now somebody uh, you know if you look at it through the, 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 if there was a let's say a, a you know another guy sitting there who was is going through buzzfeed on his uh, um, you know on his, on his ipad he could have said this is what about me the told gandhi you know why what you are engaging in when you are accusing the the ticket checker of being uh, racist this you you are indulging in what about me what about these other white guys who are not being asked to get off the train i have the same ticket they have the same ticket you are engaging in what about see because that's the main thing there is nothing called what about me when when something like this happens it is discrimination it's just that you cannot justify the discrimination or you are complicit in that discrimination that's when you say what about me so that's one and the second is the second style of attack is you are saying both sides you're equating both sides well no i'm not equating both sides i'm saying that i'll come back to what i'm saying i'm not equating both sides because you cannot equate in order to equate two things mathematically you need to define a theory of you need to define for instance a partial order you need to define an order you need to define a number theory in this case there is none 
So there is no notion of equality. Which we, how would you compare, for instance, in a strictly quote unquote, even pseudo mathematical way, what is going on in Capitol Hill versus what is going on in, in, in our farm place? Well, I mean, how do you compare these two? There's not really comparison. Isn't, obviously, there's going to be some difference. Obviously, what happened in the Capitol Hill is particularly egregious for one reason and one reason only, which is that in this case, it was the president of the United States. This is a, a bizarre situation where you have the president of United States and his fanboys essentially asking their hardcore supporters to go and attack the vice president, his own vice president, essentially. So this was a, a, a very bizarre thing. That's what makes this. And the fact that they were at least ostensibly going out to act commits of violence. And so the president, there is a different, the president cannot claim to be a normal person. The president has a nuclear courts. The president has got immunity from the law. That's why they have to be impeached. So when a president stands in front of the Capitol Hill and asks his acolytes to basically go and go do as, as Giuliani said, trial by combat, this makes the Capitol Hill thing beyond the pale of any kind of even reasonable comparison. This is beyond comparison. But coming back to the, 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 the way that liberals quote unquote like to argue is that you are doing monkey balancing, you're doing both sides. No, we are not doing both sides. But ultimately, the fact is, rather than looking at it both sides, the issue is the actions versus the intentions. Now, I want to know, now we, we, can, we can take this, and if you look at 9-11, for instance, in 9-11, the action is justified in many large parts of the world. And people will say, you oh, know, it's a bad thing, but what about the intentions? What about US? You know, what about US's imperial policies, which is right? What, you know, what, what has the US done in the Muslim countries? You know, they have established corrupt autocracies in the Gulf states. They have provided military help. They, have they themselves have promoted Islamic fundamentalism. And all of these are historic facts. I mean, there's no denying it. But will that justify in any shape or form 9-11? No. All of us right-thinking people, I mean, most of us will agree that that's not a justification. But in large places of the world, this is a justification. Because again, a patently illegal act, mass murder, is justified by intentions. Now, I'm not saying, again, the tendency to compare everything to 9-11 or everybody to Hitler is, 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 is a very useful semantic technique to basically trivialize and ultimately stop any kind of decent discussion. Of course, you can't compare everything to the most extreme example you know. But what I'm trying to say is that we have to, as rational centrists, focus on the legality and illegality of specific actions rather than of the intentions that people have. We, the intentions, let's just agree that yes, people who commit actions have certain intentions, good, bad, that's, that's, that we can judge, that's a separate topic of conversation. Who has the better case, who has the worst case, that's another thing. 
but we should focus on the legality or the illegality or the what action that they are doing. Now, let's look at let's look at the now let's look at the farmer protests. Now, the farmers have every right to protect their privilege. Now, other people who have studied the laws and who knows what it is have every right to say that look, these are not starving farmers. Nothing here has got anything to do with starving farmers. These are a bunch of extremely rich farmers who are protesting to protect their privilege. They have every right to protect their privilege through protest. That's that's also their right. But it's also everybody else's right. So the action protest is legitimate. The action, my action, to point out their hypocrisy is my right. You cannot then turn to me and say, you're a fascist. Because you cannot, you cannot attack my action. So then you go and create an intention. So just like that, with respect to Capitol Hill, those people who were storming the Capitol Hill, they have every right to believe their fantasy that Trump won. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. They're adults. They decide they will always find conspiracy theories. They will always find somebody who says that, you know, the, the voting machines were rigged. So if that's not true, but they're free to believe that fantasy. But if we go purely based on the intentions, how are they different from our elected chief ministers from quote unquote IIT no less and leaders of our major political parties who have repeatedly over the years kept on saying that EVMs are hacked. I have heard in the US people saying that no, you have to, these people are evil facets who are trying to undermine the very nature of our democracy. They're no different from an Al Qaeda terrorist. Why are they no different from an Al-Qaeda terrorist? It's not the action that they're talking about. They're talking about the intention. Their intention is to cast doubt on the very nature of our democracy. Their intent, because they're racists, is their intent is to essentially delegitimize the, despite the fact that the elections are free and fair, is to delegitimize the choice of those that they feel are not American enough. If we decide to buy this, let's say we decide, okay, that's fine. Then how different is that from politicians in India? I'm not talking about people on Twitter. I'm talking about leaders of political parties who repeatedly keep on saying that EVMs have been hacked repeatedly. How, if we apply that logic, but again, the difference is, the in, is what they do with it, is their action. As long as the political parties in India and their leaders say it, they have the right to say it. As long as they don't commit illegal acts, there's one thing saying EVMs are hacked and there's one thing in taking a hammer and running into a voting center and just bashing all the, all the EVMs with a big hammer. See, that is the action. That is the one that needs to be condemned. That is the only thing that can be condemned because that is illegal. The thoughts, per se. I mean, we can laugh at the thoughts, we can criticize the thoughts, but there's nothing illegal about the thoughts. It might be hilarious, it might be delusional. And this is where the hypocrisy of 
quote unquote liberal left comes in, they have every right to their delusions. It's the other person who has to be factual. They have every right for conspiracy theories. Um, you know, you don't see injustice now. The injustice happened centuries ago, so that's why you have to pay pay for it. You can. They use the exact same logical templates as the, as the right, and that's really what has led to where we are today in the world. If your concern is that we are much polarized than we were 20 years ago or in the 90s or even in the early 2000s. You're right. We are a much more polarized world. And that's because the extremists have fed upon each other. It is because that it is because that it is because the progressive said that, yes, looting is looting is fine. If you really feel that you are being tortured and you're being oppressed, looting is a small thing in front of it. Now you've provided the justification, the moral justification for a bunch of nuts, Trump nuts to do exactly the same thing because they feel that the democracy has been, I mean, it's their cause in their minds is no less noble than anybody else. They feel that their country has been taken over in a coup by a cabal of China, Russia, and uh, as unbelievingly, you know, people with lasers, and that, and and, and that people in government are all baby-eating uh, pedophiles. That's this is really what they feel. Now you can now any rational person would understand that this is this is bizarre to the extreme. But the fact is, if you cannot, and if you cannot. The intention, again, I'll come back to it. The intention, you can have whatever intentions you want, really. It's the action. It's the action which is to be, which you can, which you can legislate against. So I think there are very important questions here. I'm not saying that these, this is a, you know, cut and dried, you know, very simple thing. For instance, and then these are conversations to be had rather than, you know, tarnishing anybody who does not agree with you as a fascist or a communist. I think there are very, very good questions as to what kind of acts are valid protest. I mean, how can you protest in a democratic setup legally? Now, it, it is logical that if a protest, I mean, what is a valid protest? Create a online petition? Is that a valid protest? Is tweeting a valid protest? Yeah, I guess everybody would agree these are valid protests, but are they particularly efficacious? Will anybody take note of them? If all the farmers, let's presume for a second that, you know, let's not look at their intentions. Let's keep the intentions to the side. But what would the farmers do? What could the farmers do? Now, let's we will all agree that if the farmers just hashtag their way and, you know, they for many months, they, they didn't do anything. So in a way, you can, you can say that, well, this is what you have left them with. So here's the, here, here's the conundrum here. If something is done within law, is it, the, is it a protest anymore? Does, does a protest automatically, even a valid protest, does it automatically imply that it has to be something which is outside the law? It has to inconvenience somebody. So even when peaceful protests are going on, and this happened with uh, the CAA protests, is that you know there were sections of Delhi which were just locked 
people couldn't go through them. And when you're, you know, when you have to commute, this is again a, a pre-COVID-19 world. And do you have the right? I mean, we've all known this that your your individual freedom stops at a place where you impinge on somebody else's individual freedom. That's the that's the definition of what your individual freedom is in a free society. Now, one can argue that that itself, the fact that you are blocking a street or you're inconveniencing somebody else, that by itself is violence. So is that a valid protest? Now, I don't claim to know the answers. Unlike fundamentalists, one of the things that a centrist always is upfront in saying is that, oh, I don't know the answer. I wish I knew, but I, don't, I, I can't decide. So my daughter, I mean, when she protests anything that my wife and I are doing, I mean, how does she express that? I mean, she expresses that by doubling up on the stairs and bawling and shouting. So yes, and that's when, you know, we have to do something. So yes, you know, even a child understands that, that uh, any kind of protest that works has to inherently break normalcy. It cannot be normal. I mean, Gandhi, when we say nonviolent protest, I mean, that's just the word nonviolence is, is being used in a very restrictive sense here. I mean, he basically brought the country to a standstill, essentially. So there was obviously some kind of, there were, and, and this was exactly what Rabindranath Tagore's main problem with Gandhi was, which ultimately led to a Congress painting Rabindranath Tagore as an anti-national. You know, the, the, those guys who are very, very forthright today in saying that they are, you know, criticizing the BJP, they did that exact same thing to Rabindranath Tagore. Rabindranath Tagore actually was not a big fan. As a matter of fact, that's why he's, I've said this on the podcast before, that especially things like burning British cloth, you know, things that would inconvenience or that would hit. They said what happened in East Bengal, for those of you who haven't heard, I've just covered this in a few, in a few minutes. So, so Tagore's main objection to a civil disobedience, especially the burning of British cloth, was that in Bengal, the, the cloth trade was run by Muslims poor Muslims, middle-class Muslims. This was one of their biggest, this was one of their, this was their trade. And when Congress decided to target that, he said, this is going to be taken to be an attack on Muslims. This is going to be taken to be, this is what's going to happen to you in independent India. And the fact is British cloth is superior and British cloth is cheaper. So when you decide that using British cloth is non-patriotic. You're basically saying poor people are by definition non-patriotic because they can't buy these clothes. If you, if, if you know that these clothes, that those khadi was basically spun by rich people sitting at home. It was, you know, the 1930s version of Instagram uh, activism. Nobody, nobody really wore them because they were not economic to produce. You could not mass produce them. So, any kind of movement. So there was a violence. That was what he argued. There is a violence in this quote-unquote non-violence that it it targets the weakest sections of the population and it presents to them a false choice: either starve or be patriotic. And what's and what are you going to do at this point of time when you are presented? This is why many people nowadays say, you know, now that now the left has appropriated 
you know, the Gandhians have not appropriated it. Rabindranath Tagore would have been shocked with, you know, Modi and no, Rabindranath Tagore was shocked with nationalism being put as a counterpoint to somebody's own interests. That was what he was against. And he was against it in the context of also the rise of fascism in Europe. So taking Rabindranath Tagore, what he said in 1930s and extrapolating that to 2020 is a little bit of a stretch, but I digress. But it still doesn't address, and I don't think that there's any, you know, I don't know what a legal protest is. I mean, what could the farmers have done that would have been legal? Let's let's take, let's put to the side the illegal stuff, you know. Again, there's one thing that I wanted to talk about, which perhaps I missed, is that I also heard on my own timeline in Facebook. I don't know how people are comparing the storming of Capitol Hill to, I mean, that was, that was a seat of power. Well, what the fuck is the Red Fort? It is a symbolic seat of power. The whole thing, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, oh, these guys stormed Capitol Hill in order for it to be the same. Again, this is the, this is the problem with doing, with taking that similar, the equality operation too far. Then that, they have to do, attack the parliament. Only then are they equal, equal. Of course not. The thing is that at, at one level, it is attack on any sign of the administration. It is the Capitol Hill is a seat of government. It is a symbol of the US government. In the same way, the Red Fort is a symbol of Indian authority in Delhi, which is why historically flying your flag on top of the Red Fort is such a big deal. This is purely symbolic. Now, the again, the liberal media in India has taken the has 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 taken the focus totally away to a discussion on the on 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 the farm bills, rather than looking at the fact that you have a religious flag being unfurled on top of the red fort. Imagine and contrast this with the Hindu Bhagwa flag being taken a picture of at Taj Mahal and what happened as a result of that. Compare that with this. So again, you're free to do this, dear liberals, but then don't be surprised when fundamentalism rises. And, and actually, they, they, people want this. The quote-unquote progressives in the US, they want fundamentalism because they, that is what justifies what they do. I don't think that the kind of fractured American society we see today and the kind of fractured Indian society we see today, this were not the case. It's I mean, the internet is largely responsible for this to an extent. 24 seven news media is largely expensive, but also the fact that we have leaders, political leaders across the world have realized that this is the simplest way to stay in power is just to ensure that the person who is the most radically against you, you legitimize that person repeatedly to justify your own existence. Which is why for the BJP and for the extreme right wing of the BJP, their biggest friend is OSC. He's the biggest friend. In the same way, many of the tactics that the Trumpians have adopted are all classic tactics from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. There's no difference. And this wasn't the case. And when in India, we had a centrist prime minister, we had P.V. Narasimha Rao. You know, you had a Clinton, you had a Bill Clinton, you had even, you know, you had a Barack Obama here. He was a, he was a 
quote unquote progressive guy. But nowadays, if you look to the progressive wing, they hate Obama as much as they hate Clinton and as much as they hate George W. Bush. Trump is a special case. That's for everybody else because of his own personal character and everything. But they don't see, even they don't see Obama as fundamentally different from any of these other. I mean, if you, if you talk to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's wing of the party, these people are all, these people are all the same. They're all in the pockets of the American version of Ambani and Adan, basically. So the next topic that I wanted to discuss was the more fun thing I've felt fun in this in this context was, you know, the uh, the the tweet by Rihanna and uh, uh, Ministry of External Affairs MEA versus MIA, um, and 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 all of that. So the comment that I wanted to make was that first of all, you know, the the hypocrisy of Greta Thunberg. I mean. I won't even say Greta the hypocrisy. I think she's just ignorant. She doesn't know that in this case she's supporting. She's put in if she if environment is really let's let's first let's first assume that that's genuine, that she genuinely cares for the environment. Right? I'm not sure about that either. But let's presume that that's true. Then she is coming out in favor of a movement whose one of their biggest demands is to roll back environmental protection on crop burning. The fact that the fact that they have guaranteed price for for their produce means that these states, they're just two states really, which produce quantities of produce which rot for who which use water in a place where the water level is sinking to produce crops that nobody wants and then to burn the residue of the crops and cause air pollution. This is like a triple whammy of pollution year after year at huge scale. And Greta Thunberg doesn't care. Either she doesn't understand or rather I wouldn't say that at this point of time that she's a person, that it's a set of group of people for whom she's a kind of a brand ambassador. But I don't think that those people, I, I wouldn't say that they don't understand, but they have agendas for which they don't really care. I mean, I personally am, I, I'm passionate about the environment. I wish I was more passionate about the environment, but I, but I definitely, uh, but I definitely want to keep a consistent stance on the environment. And this is not a consistent stance on the environment from Greta Thunberg. But keeping, keeping that aside, the Indian government's reaction to this was absolutely, and it and this is this is a this is this is not the first time, was I wish they hadn't done it. I wish they hadn't gotten a bunch of Indian celebrities to do in a set of coordinated tweets. I wish they hadn't done it. I'm not talking about the morality of this. And there's no morality in an informational war because that's what we're engaged in. I think what was more, much more damning was, you know, Greta Thunberg actually, the, the tweet that she tweeted and then she deleted where it was pretty evident they were all reading from a script 
And you know, today news has come out. I don't know how verified this is. Is that you know many of those people were actually paid a lot of money to tweet those things. So which it just goes to show that the people who are running this protest aren't poor farmers who are you know who are starving. That there is a huge, huge money machine that's behind this. That's that that's running this whole show, which which would be able, which would be in a position to pony up that amount of money for social media support. So again, I, I don't know how valid those things are. Again, I don't think we'll ever know. So, but there's, there is sufficient amount of, um, I would say, uh, a sufficient amount of doubt that, and, 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 and that those scripts definitely show that it is not spontaneous, whether they're being paid or not. Well, it seems they might be, they might not be either, anyways. But the fact is, whatever it is, the Indian government should not have reacted in a like-for-like like social media meme war, essentially. It, it doesn't behove the Ministry of External Affairs to react to Mia Khalifa or to Greta Thunberg or to Rihanna. It just doesn't. I think what they should look at in terms of, this is not a question of, again, morality. It's a question of pragmatics. Look at the way China reacts when anybody goes against China. China, as a government, does not react. They don't publicly react. Whatever they do, they do in ways that you will never even hear of. They, they do things in the sense that they use their power, which is why you find that not a lot of people speak out against China, but they will never come out and have, you know, the, the director of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and, and, and every Chinese celebrity come out and, and they will not do it. They won't have Jack Ma tweeting, you know, what, like what Sachin Tendulkar did. It just didn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Far more damning to the Thunbergs and uh, that group is the fact that, you know, she, she brought out that script. They basically undermined themselves. The fact that we were typing from a script for perhaps a lot of money is all that is needed to undermine them. They, the government didn't need to mobilize Indian celebrities en masse because you, know, you should not react. There is a power asymmetry. A government cannot react to individuals. It just doesn't work. If you do it, I mean, governments do do it. I mean, which governments do it? Bangladesh did it with that Rohit Sharma, you know, that World Cup, you know, full toss thing above his waist. You know, Bangladeshi politicians got agitated. You know, Gunde, when Gunde came out, for those of you who didn't know, there was a movie called Gunde, not Gunda, Gunde, plural, which makes all the difference, where the, the movie said, you know, there was like five seconds in the movie where basically they claimed that India got Bangladesh independence. And so what happened was Bangladeshi netizens en masse downvoted Gunda, Gunde, sorry, um, Gunde on IMDb to make it the lowest uh, rated movie on IMDb at that point of time. I don't know what is. I hope Sarak 2 is the lowest rated if there was any justice in the world. Anyways, I digress. But that was funny. I mean, again, when netizens doing it is one thing, but the government also reacted to it apparently. Uh, because I was reading the New York Times article on it today, just 
to refresh my memory. And it says that, that apparently the diplomatic corps le re reached out to India. I mean, this is hilarious, right? I mean, that's, that's the overreaction. I mean, we read that everybody will laugh at it. So this is, and, and, and how can India react to it? Well, let's, let's, when we finish, let's go back to cricket. The thing is the Australians we play today are not the Australians that we used to play 10 years ago or 12 years ago. The tours aren't the same. And the reason why is that those Australians on the field, they're mighty afraid of losing their IPL contracts. And the people who sledge us, who abuse us now on the field are the people who like Nathan Lyon, who will never have an IPL contract or Tim Payne. So people who don't have IPL contracts or have no chance in hell of ever getting an IPL are the ones who sledge us. The people who, I mean, even somebody who's known to have a temper like David Warner, okay, he's got into fist fights with people from other countries. When Indians play, his mouth is totally sealed because he knows key contract hai SRH ke See, that is power. Indians don't need to summon the Australian Prime Minister and say, hey, your people are like sledging our players. It's just like, you know, gunda, you know, dekho na bhaiya, ye kutte mujhe che rahe. You don't do that. Powerful, powerful countries don't do it. See, that's where power comes from. Power comes from silence. Power comes from the, the Australians when they don't sledge Indians. It's not that somebody, it's not that you know, any of the franchises came and told them, if you sledge or if he's, you know, we will, we will not renew your contract. <laughs> and look at what happened to Steve Smith. And is, was that related to it? I don't know. Was his scuffing the pitch related to him losing his contract with Rajasthan Royals? I don't know. But whatever it is, the point has been made. See, that is where power comes from. If you want to be a new India, you cannot mimic this, this insecurity of the Indian 1960s. Oh my God, Rihanna has said this about us. We need to now go out on the streets and have a protest where we burn an effigy of Rihanna. Ignore Rihanna. Ignore them. They're not going to be able to do anything. I mean, you have a bunch of people, Hollywood guys, who protest against China. Does China give a fuck? They don't give a fuck. Because China knows, look, we're, China knows, look, we finance their bloody movies. Who pays for that? We do. And they know that too. They know the lines that they can cross and the lines they don't cross. For instance, you'll find that there's very little talk about Uyghur Muslims because there's a China, very little talk about Tibet. There'll be some people who will talk about Tibet, of course. And they don't have much of a Hollywood career after that, by the way, because they talk about Tibet. Those who have don't have a Hollywood career after some time. The hero of Pretty Woman did not get fought. This was one of the reasons why. So the fact is power can be established in different ways. If you, if the Indian government believes that there is a group of celebrities who are going after them in a concerted way, it doesn't behoove the Indian government to pay them back in the same coin by getting their own celebrities to counter tweet to them. This is the worst kind of reaction. This, this is, the, I would say, this is the Saas Bahu kind of template of conflict, where you do something petty, I will go back and do something equally petty. 
he just cannot do this. This looks good on television, and this. But you know, we as a country, we have to come out of this. This reacting to pub, public, you know, as a government, you cannot. And this was one of the things that made Trump such an idiot, because he would react to every random celebrity that would say anything against him. He would send a missive back. Now, when Trump was a private citizen, it was fine. But then when he became a president, when, when he represented the US government, that was what made it so silly. The fact isn't that Trump is a, was a crook. Trump is, and I've, as those of you, I'm not a fan of Trump in any shape or form. But one of the things that really damned Trump was he was also an idiot in many ways. In the way, of course, his, you could say that he was not being an idiot, that his, his fan base actually loved this. That because we love the Saz Bahu thing, fan bases actually love this. There might be, I mean, this could be a calculation that the BJP government is taking that, that if they don't react to this, their fan base will be disappointed at them, that they did not you know, react with targeted tweeting by Sachin Tendulkar, Ajay Devgan, Nakshay Kumar, Anil Kumble. But I don't think that the government, Sanya Nehwal, I don't think the government needed to do this. Because you see the audience for this kind of social media pressure is the international media. And that's really the pressure. These people are not trying to influence because they can't. I mean, Rihanna can't influence an Indian election, right? I mean, I don't think, I don't think that a substantial number of people even know who Rihanna is in India. I would actually take a guess that a lot of people in India who know Mia Khalifa is more than they know who Rihanna is. They might not know who, they might not know Mia Khalifa by name, but they've definitely seen her work, perhaps more people, I'm presuming. But ultimately, the thing is that these people will not be able to influence elections and they're not trying to. The reason why this concerted campaign is taking place is to embarrass India in front of the global community to make it difficult for Indian diplomats when they are invited to a diplomatic party. Because ultimately, you have to understand that even though we think of nations, ultimately decisions are taken by people. So if somebody, you know, a sufficient number of influential Indian diplomats go to diplomatic parties where people corner them and say, hey, you're doing this and they feel kind of ashamed, then the, the presumption is they will then go back and talk to the, you know, talk to other people and ultimately the policies will change. This is a way of, again, short circuiting the democratic process of our own country. And this is the irony. These people talk about democracy and fascism and autocracy, but they're basically trying to subvert Indian democracy by doing this. But that's, that's fine. That is, a, they're free to do it. Again, intentions, actions, coming back to how we started off, whatever the intentions are, whatever, that's fine. Not everybody wants India to, you know, not everybody likes India, they don't need to like India, they don't need to, you know, that's, that, that's fine. They could genuinely be for farmers. They could genuinely be against BJP. I mean, I don't care, really. Their actions are nothing illegal. They've tweeted. They're well within their right to tweet. They're well within their right to tweet from a script. In the same way, Sachin Tendulkar has every right to tweet from a, tweet, a script. Unfortunately, the sections of Indians are against him for doing the exact same thing that, you know, uh, um, uh, Greta Thunberg or Rihanna did. 
And they like again double standard. We've discussed that enough. I don't want to go into it again. But the point is, from a pure strategic point perspective, India didn't need to do this. By doing this, India just gave these people legitimacy. They basically ensured that the conversation and diplomatic circles will be on this. Indians could have just like the Chinese government just totally ignored them. Totally ignored them. And this is something which again I've I sometimes am stumped by the level of decision making that this government displays. I mean, this is this this flies in the face of common sense. I don't think I don't know what the government is trying to do. I, I mean, sometimes I understand that okay, this is for the consumption of its vote bank. But you know, if they didn't even rise to it, I mean, how many people really are on Twitter? How many people really knew? I mean, in terms of the Indian electorate, who knows? I mean, who cares? The government makes it into an issue. It makes it into a national issue. Now it is on the newspapers. Now everybody is discussing it. They didn't need to do it. This is exactly how they made the career of Kanaya Kumar and those bunch of clowns. I mean, people say people have some these kinds of speeches all the time in like Jadavpur University. I mean, I'm pretty sure that many union leaders in Jadavpur University from my time feel very pissed off that nobody in those days arrested them. They said the same things. Nobody arrested them. Nobody made them a hero. Nobody made them an MP. They're somewhere now in Iowa or some other places writing code for some, some consultancy company. They did the same thing. Look at, uh, you know, look at Kanaya Kumar, where he is and where they are writing code still in COBOL. So th this is the problem. It is the, it is the maturity of the government that should be called into question. That why would you react to Rihanna and some random three or four other celebrities who are tweeting? Why would you even react to this? So um, that's today's podcast. Uh, and it's, it's, it's good, feels good to be back. I sincerely hope that all of this was recorded properly. I'm really worried about that because Vikram isn't here. Um, I sincerely hope it was. Um, the final thing again, um, I have a Patreon page, uh, so please do subscribe. Please do support this podcast by becoming a monthly contributor to the Patreon page. Um, the link will be in the uh, in the in the show notes. Uh, this is a new year. I hope all of you keep on. Those of you who are members, you you know you don't cancel your pledges. You keep your pledges, and 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 you know I would always welcome. Uh, new pledges and again as i've said before for those of you perhaps listening to this podcast for the first time um this is this is a way for me to in in a way be motivated to do this podcast this is strange but you know it really 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 motivates me as a, it's not the money part but the fact that so many people endorse you so many people i mean it's very easy cheap talk is cheap people can say hey, uh, it's been months you haven't done your podcast but when somebody pays even a dollar a month that shows that they sh it has some kind of value to you in, a, in, a, in the capitalist world which i believe in ultimately the value is time and money and it's the only this is the only two ways in which you can determine value if you give me your time and if you give me your money so you, many people are giving me their time of course they're listening to it 
but it would it's a really big motivator if you know you support this podcast if you feel that this podcast is unique if you be, if you feel that this podcast is valuable to you and that this podcast provides you some kind of value again um, all my material everything is available uh, there is no people who contribute don't get any special privileges so that's that so regardless everybody gets everything uh, there's no tiers anything in in my podcast so this is purely purely in every sense of the word voluntary but please do consider you know becoming a patreon subscriber um thanks a lot and i sincerely hope that i was able to record this without any recording snafus so till next time this is arnold bright signing off this is a magnificent striking